yum nub. Eat out the yum nub. Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Jamie and war is intolerable. We have been deceived into thinking that we must be a part of it. I say the moment we're committed to fighting, we already lost. My name is Matt. No longer certain that one ever does win a war. I am. (laughs) Very good. Very thematic quotes. We both picked anti-war quotes. Yep. Yeah, I was trying to think of something, and then I was like, who would be a good who would be a good pacifist? And it's like, oh, Satine Kreese, of course. So found a good quote from her. My quote was Confucius. No, it was Yoda. <laughs> it sure was. It was Yoda. Yoda it was. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, so um today we're talking about uh some more Clone Wars, uh, episode 20, uh, which is um, season one, episode 18, called Defenders of the Peace. Uh, original air date, January 23, 2009, and this is the second uh, in a uh, two-episode uh, arc. This is the conclusion to the Scottish Lemur arc mm. yes. of, uh, of Clone Wars. Very exciting. All right, before we get into anything, did you do any Star Wars last week? We've actually recorded two weeks in a row, so there hasn't been much time since our last recording. Yeah, and um, I guess the big thing is that we were uh, guests on Hyperspace Heroes, again, to uh, discuss uh, Ahsoka. That was a uh, that was a fun conversation with uh, the guys there. Um, could have gone forever uh, with talking about Star Wars, but... Uh, luckily, uh, they keep a, a tighter ship as far as um, time is concerned, so uh, they're able to stay on topic and get out of there before we talked uh, into the next day. Yeah, he had an agenda and everything. Yeah, he kept he kept the conversation going. We're pretty far behind in our um, posting schedule, so this will be up um, a month after they air that episode. But um, if you're listening to this, you should go back and find them. Hyperspace Heroes on all of your podcast uh, platforms, and we've been on a few episodes now. I think we've done two or three. Yeah, that's the th- uh, sorry, the third. Yeah, so it's a it's a fun show. I I like to keep listening because it's, it's guys talking about Star Wars and they have a collecting section and everything. It's it's cool. They they interview a lot of other podcasters too and other. Star Wars content creators. It's a really good platform for talking about fandom, I guess. that's. I guess that's how they... Yeah, I, their show, I would say, is pretty much about fandom. Mm-hmm. Their own and, and others. It's it's a really, really nice product they put together. Unless they've been canceled yeah. between now and the recording and them and, and this uh, edit date. Yeah. In which case, in this, in which case, we were never that close. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe they said those things about those people. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> I like I like how I imagine a, a universe where, where they'd get canceled before we'd get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, highly unlikely. <laughs> All right. Um, other than other than the uh, other podcast episode, did you manage to squeeze in any Star Wars this week? Uh, no. Um, set up uh, the. Um set up the uh, Xbox 360 and played some Connect with my son and we played Star Wars Connect. Um, 
and forgotten how much that game kind of sucks. Um, I mean, it's all right, but it's, I mean, like you want to feel like you're doing lightsabery sort of stuff, but it's just it's kind of eh. And then there's the the dancing part, and um, it's kind of cheesy. But is that the is that the game with the Han Solo song? Um, well, you can dance as Han Solo. Um, it's it's wild. It's like a fever dream sort of thing. Or like if you did a ton of drugs and then watch Star Wars and then you're like, then like, wow, it's like Saturday Night Fever and Star Wars. Wow. I found the song. It's called I'm Han Solo. Man, every young hot shot in the outer rim comes gunning for me sooner or later. That doesn't sound like Harrison Ford, but I don't know. Auto tune can do a lot of wonders. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's just auto tuned a lot. <laughs> That's, yeah. So this is this is a YouTube video of uh, kinetic Star Wars gameplay uh, of the I'm on Solo where they're dancing in the carbonate freezing chamber. Yeah. Two best oh, yeah. yeah. I I didn't realize that this was a thing. This. And you sent me a screenshot, and I was like, oh, what is that? <laughs> you yeah, well, sent me a, a, a photo of your son playing it, and I didn't realize it was this game. Yeah, it's uh, it's something else. <laughs> All right. If it, you got to be one of those kind of Star Wars fans that kind of can kind of laugh at things, or else if you're the kind of takes things too seriously, this would probably seriously, seriously piss you off. Yeah, I don't... This is the thing that I, I don't get about toxic fan stuff. They really are selective what they hate because this Han Solo dance number exists in a video game. Um, this has to be like the worst thing that has to be like Star Wars detours bad, like level. And people are upset by like the tattoo parlor in Book of Boba Fett more than Han Solo. I'm Han Solo. Yeah, but I, I guess Han, that that dance it's not canon. They, they took out it was part of the deleted scenes, so it doesn't actually. No, it's count. canon. <laughs> it's stamped. It says it's canon. Let's go to let's go to Wikipedia, and 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 move the I'm Han Solo song to uh, the canon tab real quick <laughs> before we move to anything else. Well, yeah, I'm gonna write. It, I'm just gonna write a script that constantly changes it back. The second a mod changes it, I'm just gonna change it right back. <laughs> All right, we're not going to vandalize Wikipedia tonight, although we do need to catch up on some Wikipedia stuff. <laughs> um, we're not going to do that. All right, anything else? Uh, no. No, how about you? No, I had a I had a shockingly light Star Wars week for myself. I, I've been working on some 3D prints. I got my CTOS um, diorama printed um, and painted, so there's that. I was going to return to painting my Bendu and fin- finishing him up, um, but I, my my parents were in town, and... This is the week immediately following Halloween. Um, so I've had like a ton of family stuff going on and just I barely had time to sit down and do this. 
um, the notes for this show, and I only watched it twice. I didn't watch it my characteristic three to five times um, to do the notes. So I and you know I, I've had I had a personal thing happen. I'm not going to talk about it on the show, but that that stole two days from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess there's like a yelling at trick or treaters that their Star Wars costume doesn't uh, make any sense. Um, does that count? Uh, I I gave everybody a one to ten um, canon rating on how good their costumes were if they showed up to my house in a Star Wars costume. I don't think I talked about it on the show actually, but my son went as Pod Racer Anakin, um, and we got the old costume from 1999 with like the plastic mask that goes covers your whole face. But my younger son looks a lot like Jake Lloyd at that age, and they're about the same age. My He's eight right now. I think Jake Lloyd was 10 in that movie, something like that, nine or 10. Um, and we get, we found a copy, uh, a damaged copy of the Don Post helmet, which is impossible to find. And I bought it on eBay so he didn't have to wear the mask. And so now we've added a Don Post um, Anakin Podracer helmet to the basement, the Star Wars basement. And I think the pieces that are missing, I can, there's a piece that's broken. It's like the, the centerpiece that the goggles hook onto where they pivot. It's this little like U-shaped piece of plastic. Actually, it looks like a staple almost, just like a giant staple. And it's like a like there's a metal bar that goes through the, the pivot point on the glasses, and it, it's supposed to be held in place by that. Mm-hmm. It's still there, but it's cracked. And so you, if you pull on the goggles incorrectly, they basically detach from the helmet. Um, and then one of the lenses is missing, and there's a retaining ring that goes on top that's supposed to hold the lens in place. So I think you can just cut a piece of acrylic to replace the lens, and I'm just going to 3D print the retaining ring um, and then paint it the color of the other retaining ring, which is sort of silver, and just glue it all together. And then it should look fine. I can also 3D print that little centerpiece that holds the goggles, the pivot point of the goggles on the helmet. Yeah, wow. (laughs) You love your kids way more than I love mine. Uh, (laughs) My my daughter wanted the... uh, the inflatable um, T-Rex uh, costume. You that, got her that though. Yeah, but she didn't. No, she had a different costume, but she wanted that. She wanted that one, but that was what. That's what I was going to wear because we found it cheap. Oh, okay. And, I, and then I only wore it for like five minutes. <laughs> that's what kind of dad I am. Well, what did she go as? Uh, a, a squishmallow. I don't know if your kids are in the squishmallows. Yeah, they're not, but I know what they are. And my wife, I, did, I think I did mention this on the podcast previously, but my wife went as uh, Episode One Padme, um, storming the palace costume, like the red velour mm-hmm. um, top. Yeah, that 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 sounds familiar. Um, but uh, she, I won't get into that. <laughs> Shall we get into the episode? Yeah. So I was gonna I was gonna say that I was also supposed to have a Star Wars costume, but I ran out of time. And so I went as a middle-aged guy who was really into college sports. So the scariest thing <laughs> I can imagine. So I wore my old University of Florida um, hoodie and uh, joked around with the other dads that I cared a lot about the SEC and the Pac-10 and wanted to talk about conference reor- reorganization. Um, so I was basically an insufferable bore. <laughs> but yes, let's move on. Yes. All right. 
Um, so, as Jamie said, we're going to talk about Season 1, Episode 18 of Clone Wars. Uh, it's called Defenders of Peace. It is the conclusion of the Scottish Lemur arc of Star Wars. Before we get into the show, sometimes I like to talk about cast and crew. Um, so this week, I thought I would talk about the writer and the director of this episode, because they're pretty interesting people. Um, should we get into it? Yes, let's do it. All right. So today's episode was written by Bill Canterbury. And hold on, Jamie. This guy is fucking awesome. He started his writing career on The Simpsons in 1994. Oh, nice. And has writing credits, including Homer Goes to College. Oh, 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 oh. Wait, 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 wait. Do you have it? Wait, wait, wait. Nerd! <laughs> <laughs> so Homer Goes to College, Marge on the Lamb, Rosebud, Bart's Inner Child, Homer the Vigilante, oh. might be one of the best things ever made for television. <laughs> because he's a cat. Burglar. Burglar. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh my god. Bart gets famous. Bart gets an elephant, burns his air, the boy who knew too much, the last temptation of Homer, Lisa versus Malibu Stacy, Deep Space Homer, and those were the ones I was willing to write down. Holy cow, those are like those are like those are um some of those are on my list of you know Best. Like top ones like ever. That's holy cow. He wrote this episode <laughs> of, of Clone Wars. Here's the crazy thing. This is his only Star Wars credit. He was one and done. He got in, wrote this. He, he wrote something for Lego Star Wars Episode 3. He's listed as an assistant writer. He This is what he did. Like, this is, like he's in and out. This guy, I want to have a beer with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> just geek out with him, and he's just like, um, I'm filing a restraining order against you. <laughs> This includes all sorts of quick, like frequently asked questions, like "How'd you get in here?" <laughs> and what, <laughs> what are you, are you doing, doing here? <laughs> Who are you? And what are you doing? Here? <laughs> so he has he 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 doesn't seem to work very much anymore. He might not have to if that's his fucking Simpsons resume. Um, but he did write for What's New Scooby Doo after The Simpsons, and he wrote for Pinky and the Brain and Phil of the Future. He's got. A couple, he's got maybe like 20 writing credits on different shows um but damn bill that is some resume yeah i'm sorry you didn't do more star wars but i agree with you jamie like some of these when i was reading this list i'm like oh my god like he's one of these guys he's like conan on this show like 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 writing these absurdly perfect pieces of comedy i know it's a team but he is on that team yeah that produced some of the best animation slash television of the 20th century oh like so i was so excited i was like oh we got to talk about the writer today um any questions about bill uh where can i find him what's that where can i find him yeah let's let's try to get him on the show <laughs> he, he did a star wars animation thing he can be on the show yes um all right, so we move on to the director. The director Stuart. No, the director Stuart Lee, and uh, he's a huge Star Wars guy. Um, he's directed on Clone Wars, Rebels, Resistance, and Bad Batch. He's directed a total of seventy-two episodes of Star Wars animation. Wow. Uh, I don't know if he's the most prolific director, but seventy-two episodes is a lot of episodes. Um, but he's actually an artist, and he worked as a storyboard artist uh, for all of the Sto uh, Star Wars animation shows since Clone Wars. 
And now, if you look at his IMDb page, he is listed as a storyboard artist for every single Marvel movie that's come out in the past 10 years. And he's working on, he's worked on some DC properties, including The Killing Joke. But, like, we're talking about Marvel. Like, he's, like, Eternals, uh, Iron Man 2, like, all of those. Like, anything in that MCU, like, he's somehow affiliated with the storyboard writing of that. So he, so he um, is a huge fan of Asian action movies, of like kung fu movies and things like that. And so when he gets, when he's a director of the show, it almost always includes lots of hero poses and cool camera work with like lightsaber slashing down on the camera and like really like samurai movie or kung fu movie uh, camera angles. That is his influence. And so when we see like. Ayla Secura, like, absolutely kicking ass in the battle at the end of this episode. Like, that's his influence on Star Wars. His influence on Star Wars is, like, point of view um, combat from the enemy's side. I think once I knew, once I learned that about him and watched the episode, I was like, oh, they are, like, striking hero poses before the battle. Like, here come the the battle droids, and they all stand shoulder to shoulder and ignite their lightsabers at different angles. Like, it is like Voltron. They're like Vol- like Voltron Assemble, right? And it works so well. And once you know it's happening, you just see it all the time, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to drill down on his resume because he's one of these guys with, like, he might have 40 credits on IMDb, but he's worked on hundreds of episodes. Um, do you have any questions about Stuart Lee? No. No, I'm good. All right, so there's there's a there's a storyboard artist I want to talk about in the discussion section of the episode, um, but I do have one more thing at the top here, and that we have a guest star this week, and the guest star is George Takei of Sulu fame in Star Trek. So George Takei is actually the first um, main character from Star Trek to do a guest appearance on a Star Wars anything, and this is it. This is the first guest appearance his guest appearance um there's been bit actors that have worked in both the universes but he's the first sort of title character yeah and he plays a nimoidian which is like uh... oh i didn't even, i didn't even think of that but yeah nimoidians were criticized in um in the prequel era as being stereotypically asian and actually there's a asian stereotype there's an Asian stereotype from a long time ago. I don't know how long ago, but where it was it was common to call Chinese people celestial, meaning like otherworldly. Oh, I I thought you were gonna say that it was a stereotype that like one would uh, make a deal with some evil guy, and then the second evil guy would show up. I mean, that's that's what my grandpa used to say, and I would just thought that well, he's from an older generation. But okay, so I don't know. I don't know what's in re- what, that, what that's in reference to. But um, first, there's Sidious and there's Maul. Okay, this is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Oh, this, this is just going. Oh. This is going bad. Just... That's okay. <laughs> no, the the celestial the celestial thing with the Chinese was was like an old English old English term for the Chinese because their emperor's name translated in English at the time to Son of Heaven. And it just became a racial slur. And so when episode one came out, the Nemoidians spoke with an Asian accent because that's how Lucas makes aliens. And 
I'm sure there's implicit bias in there, but a lot of people interpreted like, oh, these space people are supposed to be Asians. Is this supposed to be referenced to Celestials? And it's just not, I didn't even think of that when I was writing this up, but yeah, George Takei is Japanese American and he's playing a Nemoidian. Moving on from that, um, oddness, problematic oddness. This is George's first, but not last Star Wars credit. So do you want to power through? Because um, he also voiced a character in Star Wars Visions for the English dubbed version named Shinsu in the episode uh, Akira Kir. Akakiri? Akakiri. Um, Shinsu is one of the two companions for the Jedi as they approach the walled city. Do you remember this episode? It was the very last episode of Vision season one. Um, they're sort of the skinny guy and the fat guy, and they're trying to make it to the temple. I think so. Yeah, so he played the skinny, or he played the uh, skinny guide, Shinsu. We both really, we both liked that episode. It was, it was in our top half for both of us for the Star Wars Visions. Um, it was about the one that the the character could see the future, and she saw she saw the duel, but she couldn't see how it ended. It doesn't matter. We released an, a review of that episode back in February of 2022, so everyone should go back and download that. Um, we mentioned George Takei in our review as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I've kind of put a lot of those out of my mind because I, um, I didn't like. They're not ones that I watch over and over and over again. So, I, yeah, it's. That's okay. I, I'd easily miss it. All right. Do you have any comments on George? No. All right. Um, let's go on to the plot summary. So to start out, our fortune cookie is when surrounded by war, one must eventually choose a side. And we will discuss whether or not that is applicable to this episode later. This is a straight continuation from the previous episode. Um, the Jedi crash land on a planet. There's lemur, Scottish lemurs on that planet. Um, they're pacifists. Um, they decide to help the Jedi because they're pacifists and helping they'll help anybody that comes by. But they're still stuck on the planet. Anakin is still severely wounded. So we find the group of Jedi and clones in the Lerman village. Rex sees an incoming Separatist ship. He calls Commander Bly and tells him that the droid ship is on the way. Bly tells the Jedi that the Separatists are coming. The Lerman reemphasize that they are neutral and that they will not um, engage the Separatists in battle. But Anakin is still too injured to move. The uh, head of the Lerman, his name's Tiwat Ka. We went over him last week and the actor who played him. Blames the Jedi for the droids showing up, um, but the Separatists don't know the Jedi are here. Um, they decide to help protect Lerman. Uh, Tiwat Ka says they'd rather die than kill others, and they will not fight the droids. Anakin says they will not force they will not force the Lerman into war, and Tiwat Ka orders them to go. He basically says to, says to the Jedi to get the hell out. Um, they need to go meet with the Separatists now. So the clones carry Anakin out of the hut, and they hide. The Separatists introduce themselves. A Nemoidian named Locke Durd says that they are now under the protection of the Separatists, um, and they start ransacking the village. Locke Durd is um, George Takei's character, and he is basically a fat Nemoidian. We'll get into that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took me a, a minute to realize that he was Nemoidian because he's just so, I guess just so fat. He didn't have... It was the eyes that um, they eventually figured it out, but he looks a lot different than like Newt Gunray. Yeah, they had, to, they had to like bullow out his neck too, and so he sort of looks like more frog-like than they normally do. 
Anyway, T what's that? Sorry, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. So Tiwakka says Tiwakka doesn't do anything while they're ransacking the village. Some of the Lurmen are upset by this. Ahsoka wants to help, but Alea Secura says that if they're discovered, all the Lurmen will be slaughtered. So they're basically hiding in the grass um, because they know if if they find out that there's Jedi there, it's going to turn into a real battle. The droids report back to Lock Durd that there's no evidence of Republic contraband, and Lock Durd tells the Lurmen that they might come back for another inspection. This causes T- they leave, and this this causes Tiwat Ka and his son Wag Two. We've met them both in the previous episode to argue about pacifism. He keeps repeating that they cannot get involved. Um, this is going to be his whole. This is his whole character. Tiwat Ka just it gets wild, like how absolute his pacifism is. Yeah, it. Um, yeah, it's it's like even to, it's even to the point of like he has no sense of self uh, preservation. Or preservation for other people, his people's like. Yeah, there's a super dark line coming <laughs> about his about his pacifism. Uh, but yeah, you're sorry. Yeah, no, that's really all I had to say. Okay. So in the field, Rex and Ahsoka consider that the failing to fight is lack of courage. Uh, Alea Secura says that it takes a lot of courage to stand by their beliefs. Just then, they are noticed by a probe droid probe droid spying on them. Everyone gives pursuit except Anakin. He's too injured to run. Ahsoka and the clones run after the probe. Master Sakura walks calmly in another direction. Um, the probe is trying to transmit. When it turns a corner, Leia's waiting, waiting for it, and she cuts it in half with her lightsaber. Yeah. This is one of those times where like, they forget to use the Force, that, or they forget they have that ability. Right, just crush the damn thing in the air. Yeah. Just be like, oh, it's it get, yeah, oh, it's getting away? I, I don't think so. Come on. Yeah, that's a good point. Ahsoka wonders where the probe was headed, so the group climb up one of those big trees to get some perspective. They see a huge base off in the distance. Anakin is caught up with them and joins them in the tree to do some reconnaissance. Yeah. And it should... Sorry, I should have said this before, but should you notice that, the, um, that this droid is like a proto-imperial probe droid? It's, um, it's like a smaller version of what will end up becoming the the probe droid that's first introduced in um in empire strikes back yeah it's technically i looked this up it is called a viper it is called a viper recon droid it's renamed later a ring neck recon droid and this is its first appearance um well this is its first first appearance but it shows up in a lot of other stuff later well then that that really makes sense because there's two types of probe droids um there's the regular kind of probe droids that we see like in the empire and then there's the viper series which have uh uh heavier armaments armaments is that right armaments yeah yeah that's right all right well good call out there um all right so they're doing reconnaissance in the tree inside the base there's a shuttle and anakin says he wants to steal the shuttle get off planet but rex says there aren't any flaws in their security lines um, through the quad knocks, they see that they are assembling a new weapon. Um, go back down to, or go to the, the base. Lock Durd gives a short speech to a group of droids saying that they're on this planet to test a new weapon that destroys organic material but leaves machines intact. This is a defoliator. Um, this is their Agent Orange, I guess. Yeah. 
I understand it's for plot reasons, but why would you give a speech to the droids? Today is a grand day for the Separatist call. We test a new weapon of my own design, which is capable of catastrophic destruction. A weapon which will destroy organic matter, but leave machines unharmed. Yeah, so we can talk about this now, um, but I watched a couple interviews with the animators, and they said that they they did that very intentionally because they wanted Locke Durd to be sort of this ostentatious and flamboyant character who had like a hat that's bigger than Newt Gunray's, who was bigger and fatter than any Nemoidian anyone had ever seen, who was prone to gluttony and acts of grandeur, and and even when only surrounded by automatons, would still pontificate about his plans, like an evil villain. Mm-hmm. And I didn't put it in the notes, but there's a there's a moment later in the show where he tells the commanding battle droid, the one with the big yellow dot on its chest, he tells him, he's like monologuing to him, and the battle droid says, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Back to him. Like, like they're getting bored with him themselves, and they're just automatons. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I do remember that scene. Anyway, it's it, all of this is very intentional, but it's very funny to call it out, right? Because he is giving a, a speech to a bunch of robots. Yeah. Anyway, so two of the clones, I think it's Rex and Bly, go off to sort of investigate closer. Um, and they're working their way through the grass. Uh, Lock Durd contacts Count Dooku to tell him that they're ready to test the weapon. Dooku says that they can proceed. He'd already sent two battle droids out in the field as a test, and the clones who are working their way through the field see the launch of this shell, and so they start to run back. Right. The shell impacts the ground. There's a huge wall of fire, and as the clones are running away from this wall of fire, I think Bly trips and Ayla Secura swings down using Tarzan powers and grabs him and swings them all back up in the tree where they're safe and sound. I am not super impressed with this weapon. What do you think about this test fire? Yeah. It's napalm. Yeah, it's napalm. Yeah, basically. It's, it just seems a little ridiculous. Um, but whatever, it's just a, it's just a plot device. I like the idea of it, though. I like the idea because the separate, because the the Republic, who's fighting droids all the time, have EMPs, right? And they're mm-hmm. constantly like sending out like droid poppers or EMP-like weapons to disrupt electronics, and that makes sense because for the most part, people aren't impacted by electromagnetic electromagnetic weapons the way the droids are, and so they it's a pretty targeted weapon. So it makes sense to me that that they would develop the opposite, but. Not to get, not to like make a better weapon, but why don't you just use a disease? Yeah, like, or like some sort of radiation that that kills people super fast, but electronics can exist in for a few minutes. You know, yeah. there's lots of things you could do. Yeah, what, was it the neutron bomb that's supposed to like say like kill everything, but it, then leave the infrastructure intact? Yeah, that's that was like a Reagan thing, right? Where they're like, we're going to develop a bomb that doesn't destroy the cities because, like, we're going to survive a, a nuclear war, so we want to be able to move into the buildings later, right? Like, like that's the sort of thing that they should have been developing, like their own neutron bomb. But this yeah. is just napalm. Like, this is just a forest fire. It's just, it's just like a really weird – I was underwhelmed. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, it's essentially – it's, 
it seemed I thought it would be like a cooler kind of weapon, but that's like that's something we already have. Um, and it's supposedly like super expensive because um, Dooku was complaining about the cost. And it's like for like a society that can uh, travel the galaxy faster than light and has sentient robots, you would think that they had already developed a napalm. He's got a board with a nail in it. And save humanity, will ya? Run, Kodos! Yeah, I, I, the technology is at whatever level the plot needs it to be sometimes. But this is, yeah, I, I'll just, I'll just leave it. I was underwhelmed. I was like, this is not a cool weapon, right? And your, your battle droids can walk through fire. Good for you. But most of our robots cannot <laughs> walk through fire. Not, not for very long. Mm-hmm. Not for much longer than a human could. And if if really if it's just fire, then they just need fire protective gear, right? And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but it's pretty easy to harden stuff to fire, right? Maybe in our society it is at least. Um, anyway, we're moving on. Um, Dooku's impressed, but he says the weapon needs to be tested against living creatures to see if living creatures burn just as well as grass. Um, Lockdurd says he picked this planet because it was inhabited. Dun dun dun. <laughs> A Lerman scout sends a message back to the village via a bug, and the Jedi decide to go help the village and prevent their annihilation. This bug is called a carrier butterfly, and it only exists on this planet until Bad Batch, when it shows back up in Cut and Run and War Mantle. They're used in those episodes, so there's some continuity for a very weird insect for you. Anakin says they need to disable the droid communications and then destroy the weapon. The Jedi stage an assault on the base that evening, and this is sort of some good nighttime Jedi action. They're sort of scooting around the base and coordinating and uh, destroying these droids in comical ways until they let Anakin and the clones, in, clones inside the base. So yeah, lots, a, of, lots of fun sneaking around and grabbing droids and snapping their heads. Yeah, it's it a cool sequence. It, uh, it's surprising they weren't seen because lightsabers tend to, you know, they make noise and are very bright. Yeah, there's actually a piece of trivia in for this episode talking about because there's it's shot in a very interesting way again because it's like a they shot almost like a spy movie section or where like a battle droid would be walking along and then Rex would pop up and like grab it by the mouth and like pull it down to the ground and kill it like it was a Bond movie you know mm-hmm. there's a there's a shot where it shows the shadow of Ahsoka killing two battle droids and you don't see the action you only see the shadow projected up on a wall and her lightsaber blade is casting a shadow um, so it looks like she's holding like a lightsaber and this is considered by some to be a continuity error but apparently lightsaber blades do cast shadow all the time hmm. so not to get too in the weeds, I, I left it out of the notes because I was, was going to skip it, but I sort of felt like saying it just well, then. So. Well, Mr. Scientist, does plasma create a shadow? Yeah, you can. if the plasma is dense enough, it'll create a shadow. Anything that disrupts the flow of light will create a shadow. Plasma definitely can. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Uh, lightsabers cast a shadow, proven. Yeah, there you go. Um, proven, that's, that's proof, right? I Googled it. I did my research. No, I didn't actually Google it. <laughs> All right, so um, back at the village, Wag 2, the son, continues his argument with Tiwat Ka, his father, um, saying that the droids wouldn't, they know the droids are returning because of the butterfly, 
And he says the droids wouldn't be returning unless they plan on harming them. This is sort of a logical leap by WAG-2. Tuwaka says they will not get involved, and the droids didn't hurt them last time, and they won't this time. Yeah, they just broke all their shit. <laughs> yeah, they just, like, ransacked their homes, right? It. I, I, I like Tiwaka pushing back in this way here. I don't agree with him, right? But I like him pushing back in this way right here. WAG-2 says they have to defend themselves, and Tiwaka says they will not compromise their morals. So back at the Separatist base, it's like a temporary base. It's like a FOB, forward operating base or something. The Jedi steal a shuttle, and on their way out, the clones say, like, hey, look, some shield generators. And Anakin, in a mildly comical moment, basically says, yeah, steal those too. <laughs> I really like this moment. So they land their shuttle back at the village and tell Alerman that the Separatists are coming to destroy the village. Tiwak Ka tells the Jedi to leave, that they will not abandon their homes, because now they're just like, you don't want to fight, we got to get you out of here, right? You got to go, right? You don't have to fight, but just get on the shuttle, we'll take you wherever you need to go. Anakin says that they will all die, and Tiwak Ka says that's fine with him. This is where his philosophy of pacifism um, goes off the fucking rails for me. I wanted to strangle this character at this point. I'm like, you won't save yourself or your culture or your family or your culture or any piece of this if it causes you to bring harm to another person, even through defending yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's dis- it's a disgusting philosophy. Yeah, because I can imagine a lot of the other Lermans are like, uh, what? <laughs> uh, squeeze me? Like, uh, we want to live. What, what good is, like... If there's other Lermans around who could be like, oh, they stuck to their, they, no pun intended, they stuck, they stuck to their guns and they all got killed, but they didn't, they weren't violent. Well, nobody's going to be around to say they, how good of a pacifist you were. Yeah, there's, I have a lot of admiration for pacifism. I think the world probably needs a lot more pacifism and a lot less aggression. I think we have the aggression piece covered. I think pacifism deserves a seat at the table, right? I think pacifism, I think violence needs to be reasonable and uh, proportional to the to the task. Saying that you won't that you won't lift a finger to defend yourself is not my line, right? And to say that you would allow harm to come to others to make a philosophical point is far beyond my own line. Right? I would never be the aggressor in a situation, not the physical aggressor in a situation. But if you want to harm me, another person, or an animal, I'm likely to put myself in the way of that. Right? So, mm-hmm. like, like, you want to hit me? Like, you should probably expect that I'm going to defend myself. You want to hit my wife? You should probably expect to have to go through me. You want to kick a dog? Right? You're going to have to talk to me. Right? Yeah. But like, that's I, what's coming. That's what's coming next for you. Yeah, but not your kids. You specifically didn't mention your kids. Yeah, yeah. You can hit my kids all you want. No, you absolutely cannot. <laughs> Right. Kids are in kids are the same category as my wife. Also a stranger, right? Like if you if I see someone punching a stranger, I would definitely like like if I was in a position to, I would definitely be like, You need to knock that off. Right. But that's my form of pacifism. Oh. This whole thing volunteering but, but, volunteering but, other people. But, yeah. But what? what but what if uh, the person uh, beating up the stranger said that this person makes prank YouTube videos? Yeah, well that that's 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 on them. <laughs> They're on their own at that point. I thought you were going to ask if if uh, if they um, had strong opinions about the color of Jason Sindula's hair. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, no, go ahead and keep beating that guy up. 
like the extension of his philosophy to apply to the whole village getting slaughtered um, is so far outside of my own personal morals. It's like like you just volunteered everybody for suicide. Like you're a cult leader at this point. Yeah. And and I, I can't put it another way. Like this this is no longer a belief system. This is a cult, right? Um, all right. So the Jedi decide that they're going to try to slow down the army outside the village since they can't help the village with the stolen shield generators and some empty seed pods. Um, Lockdurds see the Jedi building this barrier. They're basically stacking them up in front of the village as like a wall. Um, uh, Tiwat Ka comes out and tells the Jedi to stop. But Anakin, in a beautiful bit of logic, says the Jedi will stand by their beliefs as well. And so Tiwat Ka sort of harumps away. <laughs> and this is the this is also the cult piece right here. Wagtu tells Anakin that their culture requires them to respect Tiwat Ka's stance, even if they don't agree with it. So there's no debate, no discussion. It is an absolute rule that if Tiwat Ka says, we're going to stand here until we're all murdered by these robots, um, they have to do it. Mm. Yeah, they won't get into Scottish lemur Val- Valhalla or whatever. I guess they wouldn't go to Valhalla, Valhalla because that would require them to... <sighs> Uh, die in die honorably. Yeah, die honorably in battle. Not be like, okay, kick me harder, daddy. All right, so so the Separatist army is outside the village. They see this, and Lurkdurd says to fire the weapon. And this is the scene where he's like pontificating, and he says, like, fire the weapon. And the droid's like, oh, okay. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> yeah. he spent two minutes talking instead of just saying fire. So the Jedi deploy the shield, and these are the shield generators that like were on Naboo, the Battle of Naboo. Um, so it makes a big dome over the village. Um, and the fire, the napalm bomb, goes right up to the edge of the village, and it's sort of like the fire laps at the um, shield. And so all the Lerman can see, oh, we're, we would have already been dead in this battle. And I think this really undermines um, Tiwat Ka's authority in this moment. Because without the shield generators, the battle would have been over in one shot. Lockdod, seeing the shield generators, dispatches some battle droids to disable the shield. The Jedi go outside the shield and engage the battle droids while the Lerman watch. The battle droid reports that the first squad was destroyed, so they dispatch two more. These have super battle droids in them, and there's twice as many, and so the Jedi are overwhelmed, and the droids get to the shield. The clones retreat inside with Ahsoka... And Anakin says that he's going to push forward and try to get to the weapon, the defoliator. The battle droids breach the shields and target the generators, and the shields go down. Lockdurd sees the shields go down and orders another shell to launch. The commander battle droid reports that a Jedi, Anakin, is coming right at them, and Lockdurd orders the Jedi killed. And Jedi and Anakin is killed, and that's the end of Star Wars. Yeah, yep, yep, uh... That's the end of Star Wars and the end of the podcast. Well, goodbye. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Yep, run the outro. No, so so Lockdurd orders the Jedi killed. A group of young Lerman, led by Wag 2, grab some rudimentary weapons and want to join the fight. Tiwak Ka tells them that they're going against their traditions. Um, Anakin is able to destroy the tank, and the defoliator shell just sort of lays on the ground, and he captures Lock Durd. Yeah. The Lerman help disable some droids. They, like, rope them by the feet, I guess. You're going to say something? Oh, I was just... 
you're, you're going against our tradition of being beta cucks. <laughs> Shit, that made me cough. <laughs> I'm still getting over my cold, sorry. I, I really like the capture. I know I was just reading the notes, but I really like the capture of Locke Durd because he's running. And then Anakin picks him up with the Force, and he's still, like, running in the air. Mm-hmm. Like a cartoon character, like a Wiley e. Coyote. I don't know if he's a cartoon character, but like a Wiley e. Coyote. Yeah. Just sort of sort of a funny scene, and he's so fat that he's, like, like, like flopping around and stuff in the air. All right, anyway, the Lerman help disable the droids. They, like, lasso their feet, and they trip them. And then Ahsoka wipes out the last of the droid army. Wag2 is thinking, so the battle's over. Now, Wag2 is thinking the Jedi... And Tiwat Ka comes up and says they might owe them their thanks, but at what cost? The end. Yeah. Oh, well, we should say that there's all of a sudden a bunch of uh, Republic battleships show up in the air. In oh, the yeah. Sky. I left that part out. So, yeah, the rescue the rescue crew is there, right? So they're finally going to get off this planet and not have to deal with these pacifist lemurs anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there like a Animal Planet show called like Meerkat? something oh meerkat manor meerkat manor yeah were they really pacifist in that i i don't know when the right. when, when a bunch of samurai showed up uh they, they didn't really do much to help them yeah so they all got slaughtered yeah all right well that makes sense at least it's totally consistent all right before we get into anything else uh that was a plot summary uh did you like the episode or like the arc with the Scottish lemurs? I, I did. I, I liked it overall. Um, it, it brings up a lot of like um, questions about pacifism and violence, the the use of like deadly force, because at the at the end, the uh, the younger uh, Lerman helped the Jedi by using non lethal force, um, and they're shown to do that in the first episode. But it's kind of like the bat, the Batman thing, where like, yeah, um, he 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 beats the shit out of them, and then they get arrested, but they're either back on the street or, um, or now they've been beaten up by Batman and they have traumatic brain injuries, and so now they're they're, they're super crazy. They go to sleep just like me, and then they wake up just like me, usually with a boner. Oh. I call it the bad signal. No, they don't. Um, and just, just like, I mean, granted, in this case, they're just droids. And they- yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna point that out though. Sorry, but I, this was the exact point I was gonna bring up: is does is their philosophy even valid since these are not sentient beings, but just mindless automatons? Yeah. Is it does it, like is there such a thing as nonviolence against robots? Yeah, I don't. What know. do you what are you preserving? You're not preserving life. Yeah. Right. You're just preserving your inactivity. Yeah, and, and and the fact is that they like they they capture them and immediately Ahsoka like beheads all of them on the ground. So you're still kind of couple culpable in their destruction, just because you didn't. It's like um, again to the Batman thing. Like he doesn't kill, but then like the uh, criminals are then are able to escape to kill other people because like, I mean, there's a lot of characters who don't kill like the superheroes or or they don't kill. They have that moral code, but it's just like, yeah, but they'll, they'll let there's certain, there's a certain degree where they'll just be like, okay, well, I'm not really, that's not really my fault if they died 
or if all the bad things happen, my conscience is clear. Batman's like, I didn't kill these guys, so I'm good. I stuck to my morals. Meanwhile, these guys escape and commit more crimes. Um, so it's just, I don't know, just, I, I find the whole, the whole thing a very kind of just interesting and you can talk a lot about it. And then just the whole idea of pacifism, just, just letting people just walk all over you. It's, it's problematic in its presentation here. I also don't know what their, I don't know what the message is necessarily. We can talk about the fortune cookie really quick, maybe, but I do, I do like this episode for its construction and execution and for sort of interjecting a different point of view it's very easy to make a movie or make a show about a war and just make it very black and white Mm -hmm. and you don't really get to see the people who have to live with the reality or the people who are trying to thread that needle right and it's tough right because we're very tribalist in our nature and so we want to know like well who do you want to win and here's a group of people who are like, like, we just want to be left alone. Like, we don't, like, it's sort of like Balin. He's like, it's just going to happen again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're living in a time right now, at the time of this recording, where there are two very large conflicts happening right now. And these conflicts ignite all sorts of tribalism in people. And while I have my opinions about those conflicts, my primary stance is they need to stop. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to get into politic, his, political, historical, or religious arguments about either of the conflicts on a podcast. Yeah, that, um, <laughs> that's a, that seems like a really good idea. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. But my, my stance is basically like everyone needs to stop like shooting each other, please, because that's not the path to wisdom. Right? That's the path to destruction. So it's good to see that point of view represented in a kid's show, saying, like, maybe these people, like, these, there's other people in here in this universe that aren't always, it's not just about fighting. The cult-like presentation of their pacifism is very troublesome to me. I, I hate it, but as a plot device, it's fine. Yeah, it, um... Surpri- not surprising you, I hate dogma. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the kind of the thing that gets me, and I know this is writing, but it uh, is written this way, but it, it, it echoes a lot of things in history is that they, the, um, the separatists come in and they just trash their village. They don't hurt any of them, but they just trash their village and then leave. And then when they hear they're, co- they're coming back, they're, or first they don't do anything about it. And then they just assume that, oh, well, they didn't hurt us before. Why would they do it again? Why would they hurt us now? And it's like it's it's a written is very like naive. Like you don't really know how people work, do you? Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I gave him props for that logical argument, but the reality is 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 like escalation happens, right? And and they they just want like you you need to his point of view is basically like no one's gonna hurt us because we're not gonna hurt them. Right. But no one thinks badly about stepping on an ant. Yeah. And and these people are an ants to them. Yeah. But the but it, it kind of goes to the like, well, they didn't they they didn't hurt us. So why would they this time? And then the next time is like, well, they only killed the firstborn sons this time. We had we have no reason to assume they'll do anything worse. And then 
It just sl- slowly escalates because they just assume that the, the depravity of the, the people tormenting them is only, um, I, I, I have the best to say it, but that, that the, the level of depravity that the people who are tormenting them, they've seen the, the limit of it. And it's like, that's, that's it's yeah. never, it's bottomless. For people who do that sort of thing to other people, they don't, they don't stop. Right. Do you want to transition to talking about the fortune cookie real quick? Yeah, yeah. So the the fortune cookie, the, the little singer at the beginning was, um, when surrounded by war, one must eventually choose a side. So did they? Um, Feels like Tiwaka wasn't really on board at the end. Yeah. <laughs> no, he still wasn't. He's like, oh, now there's ships here. It's like, so yeah, I mean, so like he, he 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 had his own thing going, but I think the, the like the younger Lerman they chose aside, they chose life. Like their their war was their war is not like with the Republic or with the separatists. Theirs is like, do we just let ourselves get slaughtered or do we do something about it? And because you can't choose neither. Um, Tiwakas seems to be under the assumption you could just choose neither, and everybody will just be like, "Oh, okay," and just kind of go around. I like, oh, I'm not playing this game, and you assume just everybody else will just respect your wishes, and because they don't, they won't. They yeah, never there's have. no, yeah, there's no boundary to them, right? And so, I guess, I guess it makes sense in the sense that, like, if you're in the middle of a battlefield, you should expect to be part of that battle. And and you might want to pick a side rather yeah. than just let both sides like be collateral damage for both sides. And I can I can respect that. I, I just don't think Tiwat Ka got there, but the Lerman as a culture did. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, if you're if you're in a house that's on fire, you don't you have to acknowledge that the house is on fire, and you need to do something about it. Like there's no honor in just sitting there. And letting yourself die because you you want to make sure that you didn't you make sure that everybody knows that you didn't start the fire. Um, the world keeps turning. Or shoot, I screwed that up. But um, you know, it's eventually like if you're thrown into a situation, you, there's there's no sitting it out. Even even if it's the side of just like we got to find we got to figure out who's the wor- who's the least worst. And try to just try to get ourselves out of the situation. Right, move things towards stability and less violence. Mm-hmm. Right, you have you have to do that, and you have to f- figure out the best mechanism to do that. And sometimes that is taking sides. I don't know. It's I like this is a lot of subtlety for what is something something that's ostensibly a children's TV show, but I like this conversation. I like I like having this conversation, especially in a show called Clone Wars in a in a universe called Star Wars. Lots of wars. Yeah. And I like the idea that that these shows can humanize that humanize that conflict and show us a little bit of complexity there at the same time, um, even if they had to make Tawat Tawat a cult leader yeah. to do it. Yeah, because do you think at the end they're they're in it? Because now, because the the Republic ships show, and it's not like they're just going to pick up their people and leave. They're gonna they're gonna stick around to either quote unquote protect the Lerman because now they're on a they're on a planet, and a separatist 
uh, they're on a planet that the separatists were testing a new weapon on or they're not just just going to like leave because then what if they want vengeance the dooku wants vengeance uh, you know so they're they're in it now where they want it where they want to be or not right all right. Uh, anything else about the fortune cookie? You think? Uh, no, no. I think this one is for once. It's pretty, pretty accurate. Pretty applicable. Mm-hmm. It's definitely applicable. I just have a couple of little production notes. I think I said earlier that most of the trivia for this episode was about the previous episode, actually. But I, I have this funny um, story about Lockdurd. Um, he was designed before the casting of George Takei. And so when George Takei showed up to the the table read, they showed him the design of the character. And he said, once again, I've been cast as a fat cartoon. I must have a fat voice. Um. <laughs> okay. I just like that line. Because what was he? I don't know. I don't know what else he was referencing. I looked at his IMDb to figure out what other fat voiceover characters he was doing at the same time. And he was doing a lot of voiceover work. In the 2000s, so it's hmm. tough. But it must must it might have just been a joke he made too, to make people laugh. But they but as I said earlier, they they wrote him, they designed him to be. So they had designed three Nemoidians for the cartoon at this point, and they'd used um, Newt Gunray. He was in the fairy tale episode where they're gonna kill Padme. Damsel in the tower, Jar Jar put, puts on the cloak and becomes the knight in shining armor, right? Mm-hmm. So Newt Gunray was in that episode. They designed a second Nemoidian that they don't use until the end of the season. He gets his design and gets pushed off, but he looks a lot like Newt Gunray. So this was the third Nemoidian that they designed, and they're like, we don't like we don't want to make another Newt Gunray. We want to make him look really, really different. And so they played with different silhouettes and they decided fat was funny <laughs> that this guy can be wasteful and flamboyant and bossy and gluttonous and that's what they went for and then later george decay got cast so that was the order of operations there um any questions about or any comments about the design of lock dirt i know we already talked about it a bunch no i do like it when they play with they play with the design of characters though like design of alien species because i like the idea that the universe is bigger than we think it is mm-hmm. and more diverse yeah and like like not everyone looks exactly the same and like like there's different colored twi'leks twi'leks but you also see like um that senator um the, the or in free yeah who's just a big fat law he he doesn't he barely looks he barely looks like a twi'lek because he's just so fat yeah that 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 guy is a wonderful design as well. All right, uh, I got one more thing, or I guess two, one more thing and one tiny thing. Um, the uh, guy named Jackson Z, um, S Z E is his name. He's a concept artist that worked on the Clone Wars series, and he he's mentioned a lot in that uh, Art of the Clone Wars book. I think we talked about it a while ago. Uh, he designed this planet. And so it was supposed to be a savanna planet, like just a Sahara or like a um, Sahara savanna planet, like an African savanna, like a Central African savanna planet. But he wanted to show a lot of terrain and hills off in the distance and realistic looking weather. And so he got to incorporate that into these shots. And according to the art design team interviews, this was really the first time they played um, with with like things off in the distance and lots of weather patterns that wasn't just rain 
all the time. And so if you look back at the, some of the shots of the planet, establishing shots are some pretty interesting and detailed work on like distant mountains. And I think I, I think I sort of mixed this guy up with, with uh, Stuart Lee. Cause Stuart Lee was also a concept artist who worked on a lot of things like the killing joke and things. This guy's current IMDb. He's worked on every single Marvel TV show and recent or Marvel movie and recent TV show. So he did like the concept art for She-Hulk and for um, and for uh, Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy and all of that stuff. The other guy had done some some the director Stuart Lee had done a lot of concept art for like the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon, which that exists if you don't know that. But this guy did like the Eternals and a bunch of other um, bunch of other stuff. His link, if you're looking him up, his link to the IMDb is in the notes too. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Um, ah, that is impressive. Yeah, so this guy, this guy is like the concept artist. I was I was looking at his um, Instagram page uh, before we re- we recorded tonight, and he is involved in trade organizations for um, concept artists and does a ton of pre-production work on a lot of stuff. And he just has a beautiful art portfolio online of of stuff that has nothing to do with Marvel or Star Wars. But this guy is, this is, this is like um, Ralph McQuarrie for Marvel right now. And then the last little bit of trivia I have um, is the shield generators do have arabesque on them. And I like to call it arabesque when I see it. And they say caution in Arabesh. So there's that. Any questions about, or any comments about Jackson C or uh, any of the design elements in the show? No, no, um, no, I think you hit everything. It's it's really cool. Do you want to move on to the rating? Yeah, yeah, okay. So now is the time where we do, uh, where we rate an episode. Uh, How we rate an episode is we use Star Wars characters, so a really great uh, episode we would give a original trilogy character such as Han, Luke, Leia, Vader, Chewie, etc. And a really bad uh, episode we would give something just completely worthless um, or horrible. Um, like, hmm. Um, since, we mentioned, since we mentioned before, it could be one of the background people in the tattoo parlor. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the, um, like w- one of the mods who doesn't have a, the, the mod who looked like he's dressed from the from like the the 80s, but the 80s trying to look like the 50s. There you go. <laughs> Didn't have a speaking line. Yeah, yeah. So um, he'd have the Star Wars equivalent of a piano tie. Um, yeah. So so I, I I enjoyed this one. Um, it wasn't like like the kind that I'm just like blown away, but it's made me it made me think a lot. Um. So I'm going to give this one, I'll give this one a Bosk. Well, that's high praise. I think Bosk is cool. He's a cool guy. I like that character a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think last week I gave it a Tipley, which is the twin Jedi sisters, Tiplar and Tipley, mm-hmm. who uh, one of them gets killed by fives. Um, so I'm going to go with Tiplar, whichever one I didn't use last week. <laughs> last week. Um, I just, I think, I think they're really cool set of episodes and they're even cooler. They should be watched as one episode basically is what I'm saying. It's like they work as a set. I like the idea crash landing. I like the idea of being marooned. I I like that as a plot device and and like a challenge to overcome. And I know they sort of abandoned that once they found like the people 
on the planet, and it turned into like villain of the week separatist. Um, that is something I didn't mention in in, in like Lockdurd's design. They decided that they needed a new villain because they didn't want every week to be Ventress or Dooku because they had to keep them threatening or grievous. They couldn't let them be on screen every week losing to whatever MacGuffin is happening. Mm-hmm. And so they had to, so they made the decision early on that they needed these one-off villains who are also dangerous in their own right, but didn't have to be like existentially threatening to the Jedi. Cause you, you can see how if you overuse the villain and they never won, the stakes of fighting that villain would be diminished eventually. Mm-hmm. So that, that was sort of, sorry, but a little bit of a sidetrack. I'm giving this a tiplar tiply because watch them together. They're cooler together. I love the I love the episodes. I think they're good. Um, even the parts I didn't love, I think work in these episodes. So, yeah, good episodes. I'd recommend them to anybody. Cool. All right. Shall, uh, Should we roll the die? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we got to do that. We got to. We let the fate decide. Huh? I just happen to have a chance to kill me here. Blue, it's the boy. Red. His mother. All right. At the end of every episode of Clone Wars, I roll a d20, a 20-sided die, like from a D&D game. If it comes up one, the next episode we review will be an Ewoks episode from the 1985-1986 Ewoks series. If I roll any other number, it'll be the next episode in Clone Wars, which which is season one, episode 19. Uh, sorry, season one, episode 15, Trespass which is a episode where we meet Chuchi for the first time when we go to an ice planet. All right, you ready for the roll? Yep. I'll record it just so you don't think there's any shenanigans. I rolled it and rolled a 17. Firmly in Clone Wars territory, so Ewoks will have to wait. Yes, we will will review Trespass next, and this is the... This one is going to be a fun one to talk about because we meet those gigantic white snow guys um, that were in uh, the Tartavoski Clone Wars too. Yeah, and there's also one in the um, in the cantina. Yeah, his name is Cabe. No, Cabe is the little bat guy. Man, I just blanked on his name. They're called Talls, T-A-L-Z. Um, yeah, but I just totally blanked on his name. Oh well. <laughs> All right. Well, um, before we sign off, we just want to thank uh, you, the listener, for listening. We don't uh, put any <clears throat> any kind of advertisements out or much money in at all. So word of mouth is how uh, how we get this out to uh, to you guys. So feel free to uh, let a friend, colleague, or family member know um, who's really into Star Wars that there's a uh, podcast uh, um, with a couple of guys who are just uh, talking about uh, Star Wars cartoons. And if you thought we really sucked, well, then tell somebody you don't like about us and waste their time, too. So we'll be back with the the next episode of Clone Wars. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of 
side effects, or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Come on. His name, his name is Muff Tech. Ah.